Coming up, let the madness commence. As for the first time in two years, we'll have an NCAA tournament. Also a little Hoyer paranoia to get into. Drew Brees rides off into the sunset. Dak does Dallas at $160 million. Why not? Or is it why? Free agency just two days away as that highlights the NFL segment. The NHL signs a new TV deal with an old partner. What does it mean for the league in the not-too-distant future? Also, the Islanders continue to be the hottest team on ice. And much, much more to get into. But first, this message. Hey everybody, Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you to all please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, even CastBox, Player FM, and also Amazon Music. For more information on me, the pod, archive shows, etc., you could go to the website at www.jreels.com. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it, in turn, to generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I can flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other, for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. I appreciate you all for supporting the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, trusting, and believing in me. And with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well. We're in the Ides of March. Glad you've hopped on board to indulge on everything that's happening in the sports universe as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me for now 185 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, March the 15th in the year of our Lord 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What's expected on this podcast is as follows. A new quarterback will be under center in New Orleans for the first time in 15 years. Chances are it will be Jameis Winston. As Drew Brees calls it a career with the Saints, we'll recap his career as the Hall of Fame awaits prior to that his gig at NBC. Also, Dak Prescott's four-year, $160 million deal. Why I'm a tad surprised, not because he resigned with Dallas, but the money he's about to get. And then free agency is two days away, so we'll touch on that later on in the podcast. As well as the NHL, a new seven-year TV deal as the league goes back to an old partner, ESPN. What could this mean for the league in the immediate future? 
Also, the Islanders continue to scorch the ice. Winners of nine straight. Can they keep this up? Especially without their captain, Anders Lee. I'll get into everything that's happening in the NHL. As well as what's going on in the association. The Spurs looking to make a trade there for LaMarcus Aldridge. As they've mutually parted ways. Let's see what contender he's going to end up on. Major League Baseball. Are you going to get crazy about this World Series celebration that the Mets did a few days ago? Uh, I know. It's silly. It's inane. But I'll touch on that. Everything that's going on in the world of sports, you know I got you, as well as my hero and zero of the week, which you definitely do not want to miss. Now we can start to see the sun rising a little bit. In fact, it's the dawn just starting to peek off into the distance. That being the sports world. As I talked about a few weeks ago, we're in the sports dead zone where after the Super Bowl and up until about the time of the tournament, things seem to cool off, seem to quiet down. And now as we look off into the distance and we just see that glimmer of light and that being the tournament which will start this coming Friday and then that will lead into a bunch of different other things. Now mind you, two days before the tournament, as I mentioned just a second ago, we're going to have NFL free agency kickoff and I get that a lot of these deals have been publicized to where we know where J.J. Watt's going, we know Aaron Jones has re-upped with the Green Bay Packers. We've seen a lot of comings and goings so far, but with the NFL season beginning, quote-unquote, on St. Patrick's Day and getting a chance to look at the NFL landscape, the sports fan could finally see that we're slowly but surely coming out of this dead zone. And then you also have to remember, two weeks from this Thursday, on April Fool's Day, will be the start of the baseball season. So by turning this corner to the sports dead zone, we could finally inhale some sports because the winter sports right now aren't really cutting it. The NBA has quieted down, especially after the All-Star break. Not a lot has gone on in the association, at least for me. Same with the NHL, and I know you got some hot teams. I mentioned the Islanders, but also the Carolina Hurricanes have played well, and obviously we'll get into all the NHL later on. But we're now starting to increase our doses of sports as spring is just a few days away. And thank God for that, even though when you wake up here in the Northeast in New York, it's 25 degrees and the wind chill was 13. So even though toward the end of last week, we got a glimpse of what spring will be like, considering we were in the 70s by Thursday and Friday, well, old man winter still has a thing or two to say about going out like a lion as opposed to a lamb. So... Spring, although it's almost officially here, but the warm weather seems like it's a little bit too far down in the distance. But kicking us off here today will be the tournament because that is the spotlight that the sports world is being shined on right about now. And we finally got through conference championship week. And if you're the NCAA right now, you're just hoping that all the teams who are going to embark and trek to the Midwest here, in particular Indianapolis, They are all holding their collective breaths that everybody not only gets there safe, but that everybody is tested, ready to go in this bubble, and that there is not even a speed bump for any of these games to be either played, postponed, because it will be next to impossible to have this tournament kick off if that's going to be the case. And let's face it, they didn't crawl across the finish line. They literally dragged themselves across the finish line here because as you've seen earlier in the week where Duke bowed out of the ACC tournament due to COVID-19. Also, Virginia, the defending champs from two years ago, had to do the same because of a positive test. 
Same for Kansas, as now three players won't even travel to Indianapolis due to the virus. So whomever in the NCAA offices are not only crossing their fingers, they're crossing their eyes, legs, toes, anything to know that everybody could just get to Indianapolis safe, get tested, so they could tip the ball off on Thursday where you have your first four, and then that will lead into Friday 16 games as well as Saturday 16 games. They moved everything up a day. Usually the tournament starts on a Thursday where you have those back-to-back days during the week where a lot of people are in the office and the pools, etc. But we know that's not going to be the case this year as still people either aren't back to work or certain businesses aren't open for employees to be working at their cubicles or in their offices. So with this different type of year and different type of tournament, to me, that's the first storyline because knowing that these teams did not play in these tournaments that they're going to have, in essence, about a week to 10 days off before they even get started, especially with teams like Virginia and Kansas, those two in particular, because Duke, as we all know, they are nowhere to be seen, as well as Kentucky, no surprise there, the blue bloods of college basketball that we've seen time after time after time in the tournament and go deep, they are nowhere to be found in 2021. But other than that, the main storylines that you have here going into this tournament before we go through the brackets. First and foremost is Gonzaga. Undefeated at 26-0, the fifth team since 1976, the Indiana Hoosiers that is, who won the national title that year, to go into the tournament undefeated. First time since the 2015 Kentucky Wildcats, as we know, the Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, Willie Cauley-Stein team that lost to Wisconsin in a Final Four. And to me... That's where it starts because we're going to see whether this team for everything that they've done over the years to be that small school in the Pacific Northwest, to be the little engine that could, and now to become the powerhouse that they are now, to me, it's win the title or bust. So the expectations for Gonzaga right here are through the roof. So for the team that's become prominent over the years in college basketball, Remember, a long time ago, they were the little engine that could. They were that small team that nobody really knew about. Nobody even really believed in because how could they go up against the powerhouses of college basketball that we've seen time after time? Whether it's the aforementioned Duke Blue Devils or the Kentucky Wildcats, even the Kansas Jayhawks, North Carolina Tar Heels, even the UCLA Bruins. How could this small team even make their way into a tournament, let alone sustain this type of excellence over the years? Well, now the bullseye's on them. And they're led by their guard, Jalen Suggs. And they've done some marvelous things this year, even in a bad conference. But now we're going to really get to see and test the metal of this team, knowing that this is a boomer bust year. They have to win a national title because it will be all for naught if they go by the wayside and lose a game over the course of this tournament. And we know that the pressure is going to mount on Gonzaga as the games start to click off, whether it's after the first round, which you don't think they're going to lose to, considering that only one team in the history of the sport has lost. And mind you, it was just three years ago where Virginia lost to UMBC back in 2018. But we cannot expect Gonzaga to go out like that. We would think they're going to go deeper into this tournament We would even expect them to not only make it to a Final Four, but also a championship game. But as we get deeper, whether it's into a Sweet 16, an Elite Eight, Final Four, 
national championship game, we know that the pressure is going to mount like you wouldn't believe. And even though they're going to dismiss it, and their head coach, Mark Few, is going to downplay everything, saying it's just another game. We know the opponent is going to come after us. It's going to be a challenge no matter who it is, whether it's a 16 seed, a 2 seed, or anywhere in between. And we understand that. He's going to try to put all the pressure on him as opposed to the players. But let's face it. To have a team go undefeated, even in a strange year like this past one, is still not only going to be a tall order, but if it is done and it is executed and they're the last team standing to cut the nets down in Lucas Oil Stadium, it's still going to count in the record books as an undefeated season. But they have a lot of work to do to get there. And even with a 26-0 record, there always could be that one game where it'll be a nail-biter. It'll be down to the final couple of possessions in final few seconds. And we're going to get to see that medal, that toughness of a Gonzaga team. And whether or not they're going to be able to come out on the end victorious and show and prove that they're not only worthy of winning a national title, but to be one of the top teams of all time, dare I say. Now, of course, that's going to be debated if that's the case. Or are they going to be that team that came this close, although they were very good, and although they've continued to climb up this mountain, that little engine that could, but because they're not that little engine anymore, anything short of a title is going to be an embarrassment. When we look at the first storyline of this tournament, that's the one right there. Everybody's going to look at Gonzaga to see whether they're going to be able to pull it off. And it's going to be legit if they win, people. Because no matter how much we could talk about coronavirus and all the scheduling interruptions and postponements, and remember, they didn't get to play Baylor early on in the season. So a lot of people may even look at that and say, well, they didn't get a chance to play Baylor then, but hey, they may have an opportunity to play them down the road. So we could look at all these different scenarios and figure out why Gonzaga, if they do win the title, that they're not the best team of all time or do not belong in the ranking of the greatest teams of all time. That's a conversation for another day. I know that that's going to be the springboard to discuss all this type of fodder about whether or not they could go undefeated or whether they can be an all-time great team. Yes, It's fun to talk about now, and the only reason why I bring it up is because it seldom happens. It's just like the Triple Crown of Racing, where you have a horse for so long was unable to win a Triple Crown, as we saw going back to 1977, up until, what was it, two, three years ago, when American Pharoah won the Triple Crown. And because of the long time in between drinks, if you will, when you have a team that's on the cusp of doing something great, Everybody's going to run, jump, and try to tackle this discussion before it actually happens. And I understand that's part of the reason why in media or in the talk shows or even in my podcast, it's something to bring up. But I'm not going to wrap myself around the thought of, oh, well, Gonzaga's going to go undefeated or, oh, we're going to see this happen one game at a time. Yes, I bring it up only because of the possibility, but we're just getting started here. That's almost saying... Even with the 98 Yankees, with the season they had and how they just plowed through the American League. Remember, they were down two games to one in an ALCS. So as much as you want to talk about at the time, now, of course, we could go back revisionist history. But at the time, people are thinking, oh, geez, it's a foregone conclusion, money in the bank, that the Yankees are going to win the World Series and going to be considered one of the all-time great teams. Well, let's play it out first. Same here with Gonzaga. 
I think the second storyline you got to look at here is the way the Illinois Fighting Illini finished their college basketball regular season and conference championship. This team looks like they're going to be a tough out. And when you look at the conference on the whole, we know the Big Ten is stacked. And they have nine teams coming out of that conference. We know who the teams are. The Michigans of the world, Ohio State, even Michigan State. They're part of the first four here on Thursday. But they are on an impressive run here, which makes you think, as much as everybody's going to look at Gonzaga or even Baylor, for that matter, who lost to Oklahoma State in their conference tournament, but a lot of people are going to look at those two teams as pretty much the front runners to possibly meet up in the Final Four or at least in the championship game because they're on both sides of the brackets. But Illinois is making a strong case to say, hey, not only do we deserve that, but we're going to go ahead and try to take that title from the Baylors, the Gonzagas, even their rivals in the Michigan Wolverines, whose stock has fallen here in the last couple of weeks. Not only did they lose two games at the end of the regular season, but losing to Ohio State in the final seconds during the Big Ten conference and the game prior to against Maryland where we had Jawan Howard shouting at the Maryland coach Mark Turgeon had a few words the next thing you know he gets ejected from the game don't know if that had any effect going into the next game because of course it was close against Ohio State but they got a little payback there because remember a few weeks back in their building in Columbus they ended up losing to Michigan but you got to wonder with the psyche of the Wolverines right now because although they're one seed as well as the Fighting Illini, Gonzaga, and then Baylor, who I haven't mentioned, only because they lost their second game. And I'm sure, like I mentioned weeks ago, I bet you they're relieved, and now they're going to be raring to go to try to make their push to a Final Four. Because just like we talked about with Gonzaga, they have all the pressure in the world just to keep winning and hopefully not losing. Baylor, by getting the piano off their back, losing, not only coming after that break where they had COVID issues and they didn't play for three weeks and then they suffered their first loss. But then now losing here in the Big 12 Conference, I'm sure they're going to retool and get themselves locked and loaded ready for a long, deep tournament run. Michigan, on the other hand, I'm a little worried about them. That's not to say they're going to bow out quickly or they're not going to get themselves back on that magic carpet ride to a Final Four, which would be the first time they'll make it to a Final Four since they went to the championship game in 2013 when they lost to Louisville. But we'll have to wait and see how this all shakes down because this year, unlike any other year, it is a toss-up. And I know you got some heavy favorites there at the top, as you just mentioned, but one of the things that you have to hone in on and focus in on, and it's going to be public enemy number one, is this virus. We get that there's going to be a bubble. We get that no matter where these teams are going to be playing at, whether it's in Lucas Oil Stadium or at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, I think that's what it's called. It used to be Conseco Fieldhouse where the Indiana Pacers play. Also the arena where Butler plays their games. So they're going to be spread out, but at least they're going to be within, not necessarily the city limits, but within a radius to where they're not going to be able to stray or go very far. And... God forbid if anything comes down with any of these players, or even with a coach for that matter, where they're going to have to halt or who knows what they're going to do, to be quite honest with you. So all that that plays into this tournament here, and that's where I wanted to start with those storylines. So to me, yeah, we could talk about Dark Horses and Cinderella's, and we'll get to some of that as we go through the brackets in a second. But 
Obviously, Gonzaga is 1-1A when you think about it. The Illini and what they've done to propel themselves to get to where they are and how they've just slaughtered a lot of these teams along the way. Now, granted, some of these games were close. I'm not saying that they won all these games by 25 points, but nobody thought the Illini would play the way they have, especially toward the back end of the season where they've beaten six top 10 teams. Now, it helps that you have a lot of those teams in your own conference, whether it is Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State obviously wasn't in the top 10, but we know they're a formidable team. Iowa, yeah, I go down, down the line. But now as we get a chance to look through these brackets here, and I'll start with the West and Gonzaga. I'm going to look at the brackets on a whole. I mean, I'm not going to go game by game, people. I mean, we'll be here for hours on end if I'm going to do that. But when we start off in the West and we look there, I hate to say it, if Gonzaga does not make it to the Final Four, there needs to be an investigation. Because you have two teams in Virginia and in Kansas, as I said before, they're already COVID-stricken. The Jayhawks aren't bringing three of their players over to Indianapolis. Virginia's had some issues there with COVID as well. And even though Virginia is a defending champion, but we all know they're not close to what they were two years ago. And when you look at some of these teams here, I know that maybe you can wrap your arms around a team like Iowa and how they've played not only just in the Big Ten, but all year as they're a two seed. The 8-9 matchup has Oklahoma and Missouri. Will they have a chance to upset Gonzaga in the second round? I look at the bracket on a whole, and again, I, I really don't see any competition. Yeah, could Iowa maybe make a run at Gonzaga? I think they can. Why not? I mean, they're a two-seed for a reason. But like I said, when you have the other teams that have some ilk, that have some pedigree, whether you're Kansas or even Virginia for that matter, I don't know if they're going to be long for this tournament considering that they're being compromised. And if you look at some of the other teams, I mean, are you going to look at a team like Ohio or Drake who has had a very good year, but if they come out of that first four game against Wichita State, Will they be able to make a run and beat a USC? And then from there, go ahead and maybe even try to get to a Sweet 16? All remains to be seen. But I think it's Gonzaga coming out of this bracket. And again, I would be absolutely floored if they don't make it to the Final Four there to play at Lucas Oil Stadium. Shocked. When you look at the East, we know, of course, Michigan. And they will go up against the winner of Texas Southern and Mount St. Mary's. The other teams of note here, to me, it's almost similar a little bit to the West region, only because you have a team like Alabama, as we all know, it's a football school, but they certainly played very well this year. Similar to Iowa, another team that when you look at their conference, they have so many other teams and so much competition there that Iowa kind of gets lost in the middle, where Alabama and college basketball, people are like, wait, Alabama? We're sure we're talking basketball here, not the football team? So it's not as if you have this typical two-seed where you say, ah, yeah, I could see that team maybe beating Michigan or going to a Final Four. You don't have that with Alabama. But obviously they played so well this year to the point where they could probably push the Wolverines and maybe even get a chance to go to the Final Four. But the rest of this region, I know Texas, historically you can't trust this team. Texas, time after time after time, they've always had very good teams. They've been one seeds before in the past. They've been teams that you would think that would go to a championship game, and they always fall flat on their face. 
And until they prove me otherwise, I'm going to look at them as that type of team. I'm sorry. If you're a Longhorn fan, I know if you're Kevin Durant and LaMarcus Aldridge and you're probably thinking, hey, they could go ahead and maybe make it to a Final Four. The bracket isn't as strong. And who knows? As I said before, it is a weird college basketball season. And would I be surprised at the end of the day if Texas didn't make it to a Final Four? I'd have to eat my words, but I can't say that I'd be surprised. But also looking at Colorado, I haven't really followed them much this year. They're a four seed. Uh, Is that a team that could make a run and be a tournament darling? Or even a team like Florida State under Leonard Hamilton. And they've done some good things this year. They didn't make it deep into the ACC tournament. But they're a team that certainly could be worthy and certainly could make a run to a Final Four. LSU and St. Bonaventure is your 8-9 matchup to see which one of those teams will go up against Michigan to see if they could pull off an upset. I know the one team when you look at here, and let me segue to them real quick. Georgetown is a 12 seed, and all I'm going to say is this. The best victories that any sports fan can relish are the ones that you least expect. And boy, what I saw over the last four days dating back to Wednesday when Georgetown beat Marquette, all right, okay, no problem. But then they upset Villanova where you're like, oh, all right, wait, that's that's a shock. And then the night after that, beat Seton Hall, and now you're thinking, wait a second, this team is in a championship game? The eighth seed in the Big East is now going to play for a conference championship? And then they go up against Creighton, a team where they split both games this year and each other's home court, I might add. And even after a slow start, 13-6, it looked like Georgetown couldn't shoot the ball in the ocean. Go on a 30-5 run and close out the first half with an 18-0 run to lead 36-18. And after that, they didn't even look back. I couldn't believe it. Javon Blair gave them a nice boost off the bench because they couldn't score. They couldn't do anything in those first few minutes. I don't know if it was... Maybe a little bit of fatigue at first or some jitters. Who knows? But once Javon Blair came out and he started making shots and miraculous shots at that, and then the defense was turned up not only to 10, it was turned up to 1,000. All of a sudden, Creighton couldn't shoot the ball in the ocean. And they just suffocated them and played as well of a game as I possibly could ever see them play and even imagine for that matter. But they win their first Big East championship since 2007, which was also the same year that they went to a Final Four. That was the Roy Hibbert, Jeff Green, Jonathan Wallace, Patrick Ewing Jr., Dewan Summers team, which, could this team go to a Final Four? Oh, come on. I'm not even going to even remotely think that. Let me see them get to a Sweet 16 first before I can even think about them going to a Final Four. And they're going to go up against the aforementioned Colorado team, which, again, I know nothing about and have not seen. But I could see Georgetown stubbing their toe here. This would be typical Georgetown. They take you to the highest of highs. Like I said, an unexpected run, which you certainly are the best victories to relish. And then here we go. All right, maybe they have a shot against Colorado, and they may come out ablazing, but then they fall flat, and the next thing you know, they're one and done. And as we've seen with Georgetown over the years, where they lose to Ohio, they lose to all these teams that they shouldn't be losing to in the first round the Greg Monroe team was in 2011 uh, disastrous and not to go down that road but I wouldn't be surprised if Georgetown gets ousted here or even make it to a Sweet 16 and the thing is if they do make it to a Sweet 16 they'll end up playing Michigan so 
that would be a pretty interesting matchup if it does get to that. But I was happy for Patrick Ewing. First person to be a player and coach of a Big East championship or even conference championship for that matter. First one to ever do it. Uh, let's see if they have more gas in the tank as they try to plug their way little by little and get themselves into not only just the next round, but maybe even to a Sweet 16 the following weekend. But as far as the East goes, I don't know how far Michigan could go. Again, this isn't really a stacked region, if you ask me. I think that they can make it to a Final Four, but I'm not going to root for them. I'm going to take, and I waffled back and forth with this, because I don't trust Texas, as I said. I thought Florida State, and they can make a run to the Final Four, I think, but they're just too up and down, and I don't know if I trust Leonard Hamilton and his team to do so. So, I'm going to pick Alabama out of this bracket only because I don't know if Michigan is going to have enough. I think they're going to win their first round game by ease. Now, LSU and St. Bonaventure, who knows? I think they would win that game. I think they would beat Georgetown if they do end up playing Georgetown, let's just say, if they go that far. But even if they play, let's say, Colorado, or even if they go ahead and maybe even play Florida State, we'll see. But my thing is, Alabama, for whatever reason is a team that's flying under the radar. I know to the diehard college basketball fan, they probably don't, and understandably so, but I'm going to pick Alabama to come out of that region for two reasons. One, I just don't think Michigan's going to make it to a Final Four despite them playing well all season and earning that number one bid, even with the three losses in the last couple of weeks. But I'm going to pick Alabama only because I don't trust the other teams that I mentioned. And also, to add another layer to this, number three, is that I can't pick all number ones in each of the brackets. I mean, to me, why even do that if that's the case? And trust me, I want to pick a seed that's lower than four or somewhere around there. But at least for this region, I'm not going to pick Michigan to go to the Final Four. Now, when we go to the South, I think this is the most loaded region right here because not only do you have Baylor, think about this. They have a potential matchup with either North Carolina or Wisconsin. Now, granted, this isn't vintage North Carolina, understood, and Wisconsin, maybe not as loaded as some of those teams in the past, and especially the 2015 team. But would you be surprised if Baylor, going up against either one of those programs, and what they've been able to do over the years, if they are in a nail-biter with three minutes to go in the game, would you be shocked if that's the case? As you usually see with teams, as they march to a championship, there's always that one game where it's a white knuckler. And I'm not going to say that in the second round, if Baylor does play either one of those two teams, that that's going to be the case. But would you be surprised? I don't think so. But you're also looking at Ohio State in this region. You're also looking at Villanova. Again, maybe not a vintage Villanova team, but we all know with their coach winning two titles here over the last four or five years or so, they're going to be a tough out. You're also looking at Texas Tech and for everything that they did this year and played very well. That's a team that you certainly can't count out. Just a very tough region for Baylor to get through in order to make it to a Final Four. And if they do so, they're going to earn it. Now, that's not to say they're going to meet up with any of these teams. We know they're going to meet up with either North Carolina or Wisconsin. That's a guarantee. But, right, will they see Ohio State in a regional final? Will they end up going against Villanova in a Sweet 16? Will they meet Texas Tech somewhere down the road? Obviously, we don't know that. But when you look at that region, out of all four, that's the one that's stacked. 
And it may be a little bit unfair to Baylor. They may say, hey, why do we get all these teams in our region? And you look at the West and even the East for that matter, it's not as balanced. Well, you know what? Even a better challenge for Baylor to overcome because if they were to get to a Final Four, they could say, hey, they beat a lot of the better teams in the region. And not only that, but the better teams overall when you look at the 68 teams that have entered into this tournament. I'm going to pick Baylor here for this reason. Them getting the first loss of the year out of the way, I think was a sigh of relief. And then even losing the Big 12 to Oklahoma State, I think also was a big help. And that's not to say if they would have beaten them and won the conference that, oh, the pressure would have been on them because they, they still have that one loss under their belt. But I think Baylor here, they're going to regroup. I think that they're going to be able to push all the right buttons here. And Baylor, who has been, like I said, they've been one of the top two teams in college basketball all year long. And although it's going to be tough to get there, but I see them coming out of the South. And then when we look at the Midwest, we know Illinois, and we talked about their progress and what they've done to get to this point. And how could you not like the way they've been performing? They've been, arguably, you could say they've probably been the best team in college basketball over the last three to four weeks. I mean, you could say that. Now, I understand they have losses under their belt. They've lost a lot of games. But they probably are the hottest team going into this tournament right now. And I get that the people from Gonzaga and in that region will say, Jay Reels, you're crazy. Our team is undefeated. But look at the conference you play in and look at the conference that the Fighting Illini play in. It's night and day. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of pressure for Illinois to perform here. And I'm sure with this run and everything that's happened, and you could say they're hitting their stride, they're in their peak, but we all know, we've seen this time and time again where teams, they get to the highest of highs, and then next thing you know, they may be out of a second round or maybe even a Sweet 16. Now, when we look at the bracket on a whole, yes, there is some competition there. The fascinating thing is, is that their second round matchup could be against Loyola Chicago. And that's a team that's pretty much right up the street from them. And we know that they've had a monster year. That's a team that's now made a tournament the last couple of years in Loyola, Chicago. And you know they're going to throw everything and the kitchen sink at Illinois to kind of show the big brother that they are in comparison to Loyola, Chicago, that we belong with you guys and even then some. So I would like to see that matchup. And that's not to say that it's going to be automatic that Loyola Chicago is going to pull off an upset, but that's a matchup that I would like to see because that's going to be the big school against the little school, and you know that they're going to try to stare them eye to eye and not back down by any means. And as far as that competition goes, we know Houston in the year that they've had, they may not make people remember the five slime jamma teams going back to the early 80s with Clyde Drexler and Akeem Olajuwon before he was Hakeem but then you have West Virginia and the old wily veteran coach in a one Bob Huggins he's also made some deep tournament runs here whether he was coach at Cincinnati or even West Virginia there a few years back especially when they beat Kentucky I believe it was in 2014 in that year the year before they were undefeated Also, Oklahoma State with Cade Cunningham. We know about his exploits and what they've been able to do. Also in this bracket, as an 11 seed is Syracuse. And we know Jim Beheim. Again, this isn't anything close to a championship squad. But remember that one year where Syracuse 
played in the first four and they went, I believe, they went to a Sweet 16. I want to say they made it to a regional final and lost. I know right now my college basketball memory is a little bit fuzzy on that, but they were one team that I believe they made it to a Sweet 16. And I think after that, that's when they lost. But with Jim Beheim, you can't count him out and what he's done and what he's meant to college basketball over the years. So here in the Midwest, as much as I want to pick the Illini, and again, this isn't anything against them, unlike with Michigan in the East bracket, where I feel as if Michigan right now, you got to worry about their psyche a little bit. But the team I'm going to pick here, and I'm going to go as low as a four seed, I'm going to pick Oklahoma State. Cade Cunningham, a guy who's probably going to be the number one pick, a lot of people think, in this upcoming NBA draft. And although they didn't finish the season strong, but I feel that if Oklahoma State does match up against Illinois in the Sweet 16, I think they're going to give them trouble, and I think they're going to beat them. And if they do that, they're going to go to a Final Four. I can't see them not beating Illinois and then the next game lose to get a chance to go to the Final Four. Because how it shapes out, if Oklahoma State wins their game against Liberty, they'll go up against Tennessee and Oregon State. They win that game, and in the Sweet 16, in the regional semifinal, they will face Illinois. So, if they beat Illinois, no matter who comes out of that other region, or the other side of the bracket, I should say, whether that is Houston, whether that is West Virginia, even Syracuse if they get that far, I can't see them losing that game. Because they will have so much confidence, they will ride so high, knowing that they're just one step ahead for a Final Four, I can't see them relinquishing that. Now, who knows? We could see the flip side of that. If that becomes a game where it's tooth and nail, down to the wire, and they left everything out in the court to where they get to a Final Four and they pretty much run out of gas, yes, that could happen, but I'm picking Oklahoma State to come out of that region. So my Final Four is Gonzaga, and Alabama, not too sexy if you're CBS, Baylor, Oklahoma State, which would make it very intriguing to have another rematch there. And that's the other reason why I'm picking Oklahoma State because I like that Baylor to have to go through that bracket to go through the whole South with all those teams that are loaded in their bracket and then have to face Oklahoma State, a team that they know very well and that beat them just the other day. And then my final is a matchup that I'm sure everybody wanted to see earlier this year, and I mentioned it before, and it would be a great measuring stick to see both teams who are ranked number one and two in the nation to play up against one another, Gonzaga and Baylor. That's going to be my final. And as much as I'd want to see history and let Gonzaga win, and I think that they're going to win the whole thing if you ask me right now, if I had to bet with my heart as opposed to my wallet, I would think that Gonzaga's going to win the whole thing. But I'm going to say Baylor. Because at that point, if Gonzaga does make it to the national championship game, and granted there's only a day off in between the final four games and then the championship game, but all they're going to hear over the next 48 hours, can they do it? Can they pull it off? An undefeated season, the first time in 35 years, blah, 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 or 45 years, excuse me. They're going to hear that ad nauseum. And they may implode just from the pressures of hearing that. 
or going to the lobby on a USA Today and reading it on the cover. Gonzaga, ready to make history. Uh, that's, that's a lot. And even though that's a school, as I said before, has made their way up the college basketball ladder and they're that close to reaching it to the pinnacle. A school that 30 years ago you would have never heard of. And if you remember 40 years ago, John Stockton, that's where he played, who's by far their biggest alumni, their biggest player in the history of that school. But for them to get that close, I just cannot see it. And Baylor, they'll have house money times 10. Because although there'll be pressure for them to win two, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, they know that nobody's going to expect us to win. We're going up against an undefeated team. Yes, we were supposed to see them earlier this year, but we got them now. So now we're going to make our mark. We want to make history to beat this undefeated team, a la Giants and Patriots in Super Bowl 42. All the pressure is going to be on Gonzaga. So that's why I'm going to pick Baylor to win the whole thing. And we will dissect, break it down next week as we get deeper into this month and closer to a national championship game. So the college basketball hoop head, I know is right now is rejoicing, getting ready for the first time in two years to enjoy a March Madness tournament that we haven't seen in 700 some odd days. All right, now I'm going to turn my attention to the NBA and all has been quiet on the Western front here with the association that there's not really much to get into. I know you had a couple of injuries take place. One in particular, Joel Embiid, who is going to be out for a couple of weeks with a bone bruise in his knee. So that is a big sigh of relief for the Sixers, who are playing very well here. Winners of five in a row, as they still have the top spot in the Eastern Conference. But the big news out of the past week was the Spurs and the season that they're having, and they're playing very well. And not to say I follow the Spurs on a day-to-day basis, despite them being right now in the seventh spot in the Western Conference. But for whatever the reason, LaMarcus Aldridge and Greg Popovich, I guess they're not seeing eye to eye, or maybe it has to do with playing time. Again, I don't have my fingers on the complete pulse of that situation, but now they're looking to mutually part ways and find a trade partner for LaMarcus Aldridge. And you know he's probably going to go to a contender. It's not as if San Antonio is going to send him to Sacramento or send him to Detroit or anything like that. You would think that they're going to probably send him to the East. They want to get him away from the West just in case if they end up matching up against, let's say, a Clipper team or who knows if the Lakers. You know they're not going to trade him to the Lakers. But my point is is that Aldridge will probably go somewhere in the East. Well, what does that mean? Does he go to Boston? Does he help out? Brad Stevens so they can get some interior help, which the Celtics desperately need? Does he go to Miami to go with Bam Adebayo as they've started to turn things around and the Heat looking to get themselves higher in the standings to get them possibly a home court advantage there in the first round by maybe making a four seed? Also, will the Bucks be in play? Even the Brooklyn Nets? Who knows? I don't know what the Nets are going to do. They possibly can't even have any more assets to trade off knowing that what happened with the Harden trade a couple months ago and even though they just got Blake Griffin a couple of weeks ago doesn't necessarily mean that Aldridge is going to go to Brooklyn I don't think he'll go to Philadelphia even with Embiid out for a couple of weeks it's all up in the air and San Antonio was just in Philadelphia I might add over the weekend but if Aldridge does go to a team 
I really don't know how much he has left. Aldridge, we all know about his profile. Big guy. I'm sure his skills have gone down a little bit here over the last couple of years. I mean, think about it. He's been in the league 13 years. What, did he come out two years after Kevin Durant did or maybe a year after Durant in college down in uh, Texas? So whomever gets Aldridge is going to be an upgrade, but I don't know what type of production you're going to get out of him because I don't look at him as that all-star player that he was years ago, predominantly with Portland, and then obviously these last few years with San Antonio. So I guess it's a roll of a dice for someone who does need a big guy. Like I said, does Danny Ainge work out a trade? The deadline is 10 days from today on the 25th, so I'm sure a lot of teams are looking for services or looking to see what they could get for him. I don't know how much San Antonio would have to offer. In fact, I don't even know what his contract is. I don't know if he's in a final year of a contract, which would be good for the Spurs because that means they'll have some cap relief going into next year if they want to sign a big player. So that's pretty much the big news you have coming out of the NBA over the course of the past week. Because other than that, like I said, Sixers are still up top. Brooklyn's still playing well. The Bucks, they're all separated by two and a half games. The Heat, like I said, now they're entrenched in the four seed. Well, now I shouldn't say entrenched. They're just a half game ahead of the Celtics. And the Celtics, as we all know, they need reinforcements in the worst way, especially when it comes to their front line. And then you have Charlotte, the Knicks, and give it up to the Hawks because the Hawks have turned this season around after they fired their coach. They bring in Nate McMillan. And McMillan, all he's done is pretty much turn the attitude of the team in a 180. So now they've won five in a row and they've overtaken the eight spot from the Indiana Pacers. Now, there's still some competition down there because if you look at the Raptors, Bulls, Pacers, and Hawks, they're all separated by two games. And really, the three teams are separated by one game if you're looking at Atlanta, Indiana, and Chicago. I don't know if the Wizards have a run in them. They've actually stubbed their toe here, losers of three in a row after making some progress there with the combination of Westbrook and Beal. And then the Raptors... I know they've had some COVID issues that they're dealing with and they're just going through a tough time just being displaced this year, playing in Tampa and now I think they'll have another run in them but at the same time, Toronto right now although two games behind the Hawks they may be in for a long second half here but we'll certainly keep our eye on that. As far as the West goes Utah still has that two and a half game lead over the Suns The Lakers and Anthony Davis, he's still going to be out for a couple of weeks. If you're the Lakers, you'd say to Anthony, we do want you back before the end of this regular season, but you take all the time off you need because what matters is when the curtain rises in the postseason and what we do there. He doesn't need to come back in a regular season unless he 100% absolutely has to. And I think he should go into the postseason with some games under his belt. He wants to get that game situation, game body to be game ready. Because he could be in good shape and his legs could be fine. But we all know you're not going to be able to test that until you get out in the court. So as I've said time and time again, I mean, the Lakers could be an eight seed and they'll still be a favorite to win or at least coming out of the West. The Clippers are worrisome because here they are again losing to New Orleans last night the way they did. They were down at one point, I think 36 and they lose by 20. And it makes you wonder whether or not this Clipper team is going to be, let's say it, have the testicular fortitude to get to a conference championship. And the reason why I say conference championship because as we all know, the Clippers have never gone to a conference final. 
in their history. And that's going back to when they were the San Diego Clippers. That's going back to when they were the Buffalo Braves. But even more so as the Los Angeles Clippers, they have not seen what a Western Finals looks like in their own building. So you have to wonder, Tyron Lue, and he's been upset. He came out yesterday, destroyed his team. I don't want to say destroyed a little strong. But he's come out against his team to say, I don't know. We, we certainly don't look like contenders and we're not playing like that. And if this continues to keep up, we're going to be on the outside looking in. A little strong. I don't know if that's his way to motivate the team, but the Clippers, despite the talent, have certainly not matched the intensity and all the prognostications of making it to an NBA final because they just seem to float in and out of these games. And that's all there is to it. And that's what you pretty much have. The association has been quiet. And it's going to be quiet over the next two weeks because the college basketball is going to overrule when it comes to the hardwood is concerned. Nobody's going to care about the NBA until we get into April. Because at that point, people are going to start to see the finish line. Granted, it's not going to be to the middle of May. But baseball will kick off. The tournament will be over. I understand you have the Masters, but that's just four days. More people will get into the NBA once the college basketball is over. Unless something crazy in the NBA happens over the course of the next three weeks. But as we all know, that remains to be seen. Now let me segue to the NHL because some interesting news came out this past week in regards to the league and more so the visibility of the league. Because when you go way back, I remember when NHL games were on USA. Remember the USA Network? I think they're still around. They may be called something else by now, but they were on USA Network and granted the NHL, a lot of people unless you're the diehard fan, and I was in the 80s. I watched those games on USA, and I loved it. Loved watching all those games. And then they transitioned to ESPN in the mid-80s, and that's where they really got their sea legs going as far as being broadcasted throughout the country because hockey is a game that is more regional. So if you live in the Midwest and you're following the Red Wings or the Blackhawks or obviously north of the border, whether you're in Montreal or Toronto... New York and Boston here in the Eastern Corridor. And as time goes on, you know there have been some other teams that have been around for quite some time that people are going to follow, whether it's St. Louis with the Blues, and we know here in the East, the Flyers, of course the Islanders, Penguins that have had success over the years. Even if you want to go out West, where Gretzky went to the Kings, and they were put on the map at that time. But now, being on... ESPN starting next year and they're going to have four of the next eight Stanley Cup finals and think about the odyssey that the NHL has gone through once ESPN jumped ship or I should say they parted the ways from the National Hockey League you couldn't find any of these games with a magnifying glass a compass or GPS because if you remember there was that time where To watch an NHL game on any of these networks, you really had to look long and hard to find a Wednesday night game or even a Stanley Cup playoff game. Because remember the channel Versus? Remember that network? A lot of people didn't even have Versus. So for the NHL to be put on Versus, you know that even the casual sports fan, they said, what channel is that? I'm not going to watch this thing. And then of recent vintage with the NBC Sports Network, and I get they're trying to catapult themselves along the lines of a Fox Sports 1 
or a CBS Sports as they have their own network and NBC's trying to jump into the foray when it comes to all these burgeoning sports networks. But it just hasn't worked out. And for the NHL to be put back on ESPN, does that mean that the league is going to be ablaze? That the interest is going to skyrocket in terms of ratings? The answer to that remains to be seen. If you're going to ask me, Right now, I'll say no, but it's certainly going to help them more than it's going to hurt them. And the only way that the NHL will be of any relevance, and there are many young players in the sport that even the casual sports fan can maybe look at and say, hey, I want to check out this team or let me watch this guy. So even in a region like Tampa, who won a Stanley Cup last year, but they can look at a guy like Victor Hedman, who's the captain of the team, and say, wow, that guy's is one of the better defensemen in the league and possibly a future Hall of Famer. We know about the obvious Connor McDavid's in Edmonton, and granted they're in Edmonton, so nobody really cares, but they could showcase his talents and say, hey, this is the next great player in this league. We know about the original six teams. They speak for themselves. The casual hockey fan will watch that game if it's Boston and the Rangers or Rangers and Canadians, Detroit, Chicago, etc. But it's about those other markets. Nashville, when they went to a Stanley Cup final, how rabid those fans were down there. If you're a diehard hockey fan or even a hockey fan, period, you're going to know about that. But the regular guy's not going to know that hockey is big in Nashville. They're going to think of the Titans before they even think about the Predators. And this is where the NHL could step in because they could highlight these games. And granted, they're going to show the marquee games. They're going to show the marquee teams with the marquee players. And we could look at the Sidney Crosby's and Alexander Ovechkin's of the world. But remember, they're getting older. They're not going to be around, you would think, in the next three, four, five years. It's the other players, the Nathan McKinnons out in Colorado is another guy that the league can hang their hat on and look at as this is the guy that you need to watch when it comes to the NHL. And granted, when you think of Colorado, you're going to think about the Broncos or you're going to think about maybe even the Nuggets for that matter. Nobody's going to think about the Colorado Rockies, but because they got a guy, Nathan McKinnon, one of the top goal scorers and top players in the league, ESPN is going to highlight that guy. Nobody watches NBC Sports Network. So forget about just hockey. They just watch a period. So ESPN is going to get a big boost here as well as the NHL because they were synonymous with hockey back in the 80s and 90s. And now that they have come to an agreement eight years Now, a lot of it's going to be on their streaming platform. I just got to put that out there because as much as you're going to think, wow, how many games are going to play or how many games are going to broadcast on their network? I believe right now it's like 25 games, which isn't a lot. But with the ESPN Plus and all the streaming stuff, I read that they're going to have hundreds of games being streamed on there. And we know streaming is the real deal right now. Everybody loves streaming. Everybody's on the road. Everybody's on the go. They're going to watch from their phones. Nobody's going to sit in front of a TV. So that's where the NHL is going to hopefully strike gold in this sense because they're going to capitalize on the whole streaming aspect. And then, of course, to have a Stanley Cup on ESPN every other year. And I would think ABC will get the other four Stanley Cup finals. And kudos to them. Hopefully, they'll be able to now propel the sport to at least be where they should ranked in the top four as far as the major sports are concerned, because you would think a lot of people are more into the MMA, a lot of people are into other sports that belong in that pantheon of the top 
four sports in this country. We all know for many years it's been football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. A lot of people will even look at baseball starting to slowly but surely fall by the wayside, and hockey is not even on the map. But ESPN and the NHL, it's going to do that right here, right now. So we'll certainly see how that goes. Now as we turn our attention to the ice itself, a lot of these races that look like they were starting to not necessarily shape up or take into shape, but some of these divisions look like they were going to be log jams or at least to have some competition when you look at who's going to try to make it to one of the top four seeds. As we all know, in each of these divisions, the top four seeds are going to make it into the postseason. Right now, there seems to be some separation there with some of these divisions where you wonder, is there going to be any drama in the second half of this NHL season? And mind you, there are some teams that haven't even approached their second half because when you look at the Bruins, for instance, who are still three games behind making their halfway points of the season, and in the same division, the Islanders, I think they played the most games than everybody in the whole league. No, looking now, the Blue Jackets, they played 30 games. The Islanders have played 29. And I'm going to start there because what the Islanders have done here during the stretch, and we saw a stretch like this last year when, remember, they were 15-0-2, They have not lost in regulation at home this year. They've bounced back nicely. They've played well above one I I thought I could ever imagine because they got off to that real slow start. And I don't know if that was a little hangover from everything that happened last year, especially when they came back from the coronavirus and beating the Panthers, beating the Capitals, beating the Flyers, and then losing to the Lightning in six games before having to turn around and then start their season here in January. But Give it up, man. They have been, by far, to me, a huge surprise. Now, people may laugh at me and say, Jay Reels, come on, this team made it to a conference final last year. But look at the way they started. And it's not as if this team, despite having Matthew Barzal, Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, and you know, have a little firepower on this team, but then now they lose their captain, Andrews Lee, to a lower body injury. Who knows how long he's going to be out. They may even say that he's probably going to be done for the rest of this regular season. In fact, he's on injured reserve until the playoffs. So now this next man up mentality with the Islanders has not only fared well with Barry Trotz, the coach, and obviously him being with Lou Lamorello is certainly going to help because they're a team that you think come the trade deadline they'll probably get a reinforcement knowing that they're playing the way they've been playing and that they do have a shot to make it to a cup this year but I've been overly impressed by what they've done and we understand the familiarity of playing these teams and with the way the schedule is this year you know they've beaten the Bruins again I think they're what are they 4-0 against them this year and just the way they've been able to play and they're not a sexy team they're not a team that's overpowering they're not a team that has a bunch of stars obviously they're not the Tampa Bay Lightning you know they're not some of these other teams even in their own division where you know people are going to know who's on the Capitals people will know who's in Pittsburgh the Bruins and we know what they they're capable of but the Islanders they're just a team that have been under the radar and then when you look at the standings as crazy as this is going to sound if the season ended today they'd have the most points in the league and what more can I say I've just been shocked now watch I talked about them a little bit last week. Now I'm talking about them more. And they're due to have a stretch here where they're going to stub their toe. But not to say they're going to continue this. Because remember, they have teams below them that have games in hand. So the Bruins, even though the Islanders are 4-0 against them, but they have four games in hand to the Islanders. And both the Capitals and Penguins 
each with two games in hand. And I know they have a couple more games left with the Penguins on the schedule, but they still have the Caps, I'm sure, quite a few times. Remember, they're playing them eight times this year. So we'll see how this all unfolds. But, man, I've just been overly impressed by what they've done and how they performed. And I just hope they can continue to keep it up. But it's funny, as much as they've been the hottest team in the league, right behind them are the Carolina Hurricanes. And even though they're only separated by one point between Tampa and Florida in the Central, but give it up to what they've done. Because they're another team flying under the radar, a team you would not expect for them to not only just be in the hunt for a division, but also overtake the division as of today. And, you know, same for even the Florida Panthers. Now, the Panthers, of course, are building something there. Coach Joel Quenville, we know his pedigree with his days with the Blackhawks winning all those cups. So there's a lot to be expected there. And speaking of the Blackhawks, they're the other team in the division where they're in fourth place in the Central. But that's going to be a fight at the top of the division there with those three teams to the end. And even the same in the East with the four teams that I mentioned. I know the Flyers may be heard from as they're only three points behind the Bruins. But as I said before, there may not be a lot of drama when it comes to having, let's say, three or four teams compete for one or two spots, the three and four seed in the division. Unless some of these teams come so far back to the pack that those bottom feeders start to creep and crawl up the standings to where it makes it that much more interesting. But there is a lot of separation here in the league where it's very top-heavy when you look at these divisions. And the same for the West. Now, I get in the north, the Maple Leafs have slipped here a little bit, but they still have a four-point lead over Winnipeg and Edmonton. They're both tied there for second. Then you have the Canadians, but then Calgary and Vancouver, they're just two and three points behind the Canadians for the fourth spot in that division. And even out west, the top four teams in that division are separated by four points. Vegas, Minnesota, Colorado, St. Louis. But then you have the fall-off right after that. The Kings are five points, then Arizona, San Jose, Anaheim. So what is going to happen here in this NHL when you get down to this last month and a half or so of the season, or maybe two months because you're going into the middle of May now, unless these teams start to falter and a lot of the teams that are trying to inch or crawl themselves into the playoff picture... There's a lot of work to be done with these teams, and I just don't see it happening. And I wouldn't be surprised that a lot of these teams that are out of it, they're going to be more sellers come the trade deadline than there will be buyers. So you wonder whether or not if, I'm not going to say it's a foregone conclusion that what you're going to see right now is what's going to be in the postseason. There is still a lot of hockey to be played, but it does make you wonder whether or not there's going to be a fight to the finish or a race, so to speak. Maybe more so in the Central right now because of what I mentioned between Carolina, Tampa, and Florida, but that's pretty much the only race. Yeah, we still got to wait to see what's going to happen in the East. I get that, but it's almost like watching a baseball season. There's still so much more games to be played that until we get to maybe that last month or maybe even the last couple of weeks that we could say, oh, let's pay attention to this because this is going to come down to the wire. And that's the sad part about the NHL season because it's so long, just like the NBA, that the interest for it, you just wait until the postseason to get it started. And then that's when you're going to really pay attention to see what team is going to make it to a cup final and win.
All right, now I'm going to turn my attention to the NFL. I'm not going to get into baseball. You know, in fact, I could just get this out of the way quick, fast, and hurry because really there is nothing to discuss. We just want to get to opening day, which is two weeks from this coming Thursday. But other than players getting their bats or other than Jacob DeGrom being just as dominant now as he's pretty much in midseason form, there really isn't anything to discuss. Obviously, there aren't any players to be signed or no major or key injuries that have come out of spring training right now. I know Steven Strasburg now, if you want to say him, he's been put on alert here with a, an issue here. I'd have to go back and check to see what it is. But if you're a national fan, uh, especially a fan of the National League East that I am, you got to wonder about its health because that could go a long way as to whether or not the Nationals will be a part of the NL East mix. Strasburg has a calf issue that he's dealing with, so who knows if that's going to be lingering or if any note for it to be a long-term issue. But baseball, you really don't have much to discuss unless you want to get into this Mets celebration thing that they tried to enact, what was it, on Tuesday or Wednesday where they had uh, somebody fungo a fly ball to the outfield and it was caught and then everybody was running to the infield, throwing their gloves up in the air, jumping up and down. I know it's silly. I know it's stupid. Maybe that's just them dreaming and hoping and maybe trying to put into existence, into the universe that let's see if it will manifest to sometime in late October. Listen, I'm not going to get crazy about that. Uh, I don't like it. I'd rather them do that for real when it uh, truly counts. But if they want to get their jollies off of mimicking a World Series victory in March, all right. Whatever floats your boat, you know, that's that. That's all I'm going to say about that. I mean, I, I really don't know what else to add there. But that's pretty much what you have with baseball. So now let me get to the NFL because we all know that's going to be big news here in the coming days. And today you had a big signing where the Buccaneers re-upped with their pass rushing specialist, Shaq Barrett, four years, $72 million, on top of also Levante David, which they had to restructure a contract for him for two years, $25 million. And speaking of restructuring, Tom Brady, who although he signed a four-year deal, but we can't get crazy about that because really it was restructuring his deal for some flexibility, not only with the cap, but to keep some of their core to make another run at this thing. So even though Brady, who knows, he may end up playing four more years. It is Tom Brady. He's aging like fine wine. But they're doing whatever it takes. And Chris Godwin, they also put a franchise tag on him. So the Super Bowl champions are looking to pave the way for another repeat here. And that's why they're doing what they're doing. So give it up to the Bucks, their front office, for making these moves now because they know in the first year of Tom Brady and everything that transpired here, especially over the last couple of months, they want to continue this magic and continue to have their core intact to try to make it back to a Super Bowl and repeat as champions. So that's pretty much the beginning of this. I'll get to some other notes, but I want to start off with Drew Brees here because he retired yesterday. His kids made that announcement on Instagram. And with Brees, no one's really surprised. You kind of saw this coming. Now, would it have been a surprise if he came back and played another year? Maybe because of how the season ended in January with the three interceptions, with the loss to the Buccaneers, and going home early as a two seed and not being able to play in a conference championship or even get to a Super Bowl. But Breeze said, that's enough. It's time for me to be with my family. It's time to go on to the next stage of his life. 
And that right now looks like it's going to be the NBC gig that was offered to him prior to last year. And all we can say about Breeze, we know about the records, we know about the stats. I know it's a little bit more to be desired only because he only made it to one Super Bowl and he did win it and was an MVP in that game against the Colts, Super Bowl 44. But when we look at the back of his football card, and mind you, he is an all-time great. There's no debating that. He's thrown for 80,000 yards. He's second in touchdowns. and we we'll go through all the numbers. But at the end of the day, because no matter how he gets into the Hall of Fame, it's a matter of where he's going to be ranked in history. Now, I'm not going to get into all the quarterbacks and rank him amongst the Joe Montanas, the Tom Brady's, etc. But let's face it. Even with all the numbers and all the accomplishments, to me, in my eyes, in my opinion, despite him being the underdog to being the undersized quarterback coming out of Purdue, six foot, playing in San Diego, then to have his shoulder mangled in that last game of the season against Denver, to then getting the contract that he got in New Orleans where he was being courted in Miami where a lot of people thought he was going to go to the Dolphins with Nick Saban and we know how that went down. But when I look at Drew Brees as being one of the top quarterbacks of all time, in my eyes, he is not. And I don't care what numbers, I don't care how many completions, touchdowns, etc. And that's all fine and dandy. But money on the line, a game you have to have, does he rank up there with those quarterbacks? He does not. Yes, he has a Super Bowl ring and a Super Bowl MVP and well-deserved. And we understand his influence and his impact on that city post-Katrina, etc., not to diminish all that but if you're going to ask me who would I rather have in a big game I could probably count off the top of my head 10 quarterbacks that are better and that's where I draw the line and I like Breeze I think he is an all-time great I like him as a quarterback and everything he's had to overcome but yeah I'm not putting him up there with Joe Montana John Elway obviously Tom Brady even Aaron Rodgers, and he has his own baggage that he has to deal with, especially after what happened there in at Lambeau against the Buccaneers. But I would take Rodgers before I take Breeze. So that's what I mean. And that's not to knock him or throw ice water on his retirement here, but I got to call it as I see it. And that's how I see it. I mean, there's no other way to cut it. I mean, I wish I could have some banter with you guys as if this was a two-way sports talk telephone exchange to debate that but I would think you would feel the same way if you've watched Drew Brees if you've watched the Saints if you watched how he's performed over the years regular season hey no ifs ands buts maybe it's about it but let's face it he was Peyton Manning and I'm not trying to compare him to Peyton Manning but as far as the expectations as far as having number one seeds as far as having being favorites in his own building I mean think about this Losing to the Vikings in a wild card round last year or two seasons ago, if you want to look at it from that regard. Him being a favorite against a Tampa Bay team that they beat twice in a regular season. We know how that went down. I understand they got the worst break of all time, but losing to the Rams at home in an NFC Championship game. You can go down the list with all these games. And Peyton Manning had that type of career early on before he won that first Super Bowl. And granted, Brees already had the Super Bowl in his back pocket before all this postseason misery over the last decade plus but I'm sorry that's how it's unfolded for him and we're gonna remember him not just for the regular season prowess and of course for that Super Bowl victory but how the last four five six years shaped up and how his team shipped out 
in either an early round or in a conference title game or in a divisional game. I don't know what else to add to that. Now, let me get to Dak Prescott because I was a little surprised about this deal. Now, I'm not surprised that he's still with Dallas and signed four years, $160 million, but that's the problem I have is the money. And granted, he plays the most important position, arguably in all sports. Is he deserving of that money? I can't say he is. And I get that the market is what the market is for a quarterback in the National Football League. They're going to get paid with a capital P, capital A, capital I, capital D, and about 40 million exclamation points after that. Totally understand that. But if I'm a Cowboy fan and I look at Dak Prescott as far as productivity is concerned and to put that dollar amount I wonder what the starting point was in the negotiations because if I'm Jerry Jones, all right, what's the difference between 30 and $40 million? I get that. But you know what that means? You can't get that defensive corner that you're looking for or you can't get that pass rusher or you can't get that linebacker that you want from another team. As it is, you already have money tied up in Amari Cooper. You have money tied up in Tyron Smith. You already have money tied up in Zeke Elliott. And again... We know the quarterback is important. And where else are they going to go to get their quarterback? 1,000% understood. But in those negotiations, if I'm Jerry Jones, I would have started at 30 and either would have front-loaded a lot of that guaranteed money, which he got, what, $66 million, which I believe is the most in NFL history or for a quarterback or whatever it is. And coming off of that, horrific leg injury that he suffered against the Giants that also adds another element to this thing so I would have been going to his camp Prescott's camp that is to say we want him a cowboy we know what the market is for a quarterback but considering the injury this I'll make sure to take care of him later on down the road but for the immediate future let's do this I get that their representatives probably didn't budge or they probably looked at that and be like, "Uh uh-uh, we want more because you heard all the rumors going into last offseason when he was franchised that, oh, he wanted $40 million a year or $45 million, whatever it was. Well, he got his money and I like Prescott. He's a good kid and he has had his moments here, but the one thing I worry about Prescott is he a quarterback that could carry your team to a Super Bowl? I don't know if he is. I can't say. I cannot say. Right now, my heart, my gut says he does not. But we don't know. We haven't seen that. Because when you look at his resume, right, that first year when they went to the divisional round as a one seed and they lost on that, just a beautiful throw there by Aaron Rodgers and Jared Cook, they kicked the field goal. They lost as a brutal game. A lot of that to me was on their former coach and Jason Garrett as far as that play calling is concerned toward the end of that game. And then you look at them finally winning a playoff game, beating Seattle, and then they lose to the Rams. And not that he was terrible, but didn't do too much. That's the one thing I would think if you're a Cowboy fan, is Dak Prescott the guy to take it to a Super Bowl? And right, I get who else is out there. You're not going to trade for somebody. You're not going to draft somebody in this upcoming draft. You're not going to go to the scrap heap I get you did that last year with Andy Dalton, but Dalton is still a very good backup, especially at this stage of his career. 
And Dalton's a guy that could pitch in from time to time. And how many other quarterbacks can you say in the league that you could pluck off of somebody else's roster that's not named, of course, Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson, and we all know about that issue with the Bears. But you get my point. There isn't anybody out there that you're going to rely on to take you to that next level. Now, to the Cowboy fan, ask yourself, is he that guy over the next four years with an ankle that's on the mend and being able to not only win big games in a regular season, but more importantly, win postseason games and especially on the road in hostile environments? I know the jury's still out. I get it, but mm, that's why I'm not an agent, I guess, <laughs> or I'm not a, an NFL owner saying, that, hey, we want to pay him. And listen, they weren't going to shortchange Prescott to say the least, but I don't know. I just thought way too much money for a guy coming off of a bad injury and who really not really had the opportunity to play in a lot of those big games. And even in some of those big games, not that he was terrible, but mm, I don't know. I, I just have a certain way about the whole scenario. That's just it. And then you have Cam Newton going back to New England on a one-year $14 million deal. Now that was shocking because did you watch Cam Newton play last year? I don't care if he had me as wide receiver. Do you see some of those throws he made? Is Cam Newton done as a quarterback? I'm not going to say he's done. He still can be productive, but the guy can't throw a ball past 10 yards, it seems. And I understand that the Patriot offense is not going to be confused with Air Coriel. I get that, but geez, Cam Newton, he was just awful. All you got to do is look at the passing numbers. And I don't want to see the rushing yards and the touchdowns. He's going to be a year older We know about his health history, the wear and tear on his body, and he's a big man, and he could do it. But we all know he could rush for 1,000 rushing yards and have 20 rushing touchdowns. But it's what he does with his arm more so than his legs, especially at this juncture of his career. So I was very surprised to see that. And then the Chiefs, you're going to hear this for the next 10 years, as long as Patrick Mahomes is under this contract. Him having to restructure right now is going to be the theme of every offseason from now until the end of eternity because as you know the Chiefs released both Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz two guys that they desperately needed on that offensive line as you saw in that Super Bowl I'm sure Patrick Mahomes is still running for his life and we know the Chiefs are going to have to revamp and retool that offensive line so who knows if they're going to bring those guys back on lesser deals or more guarantees we got to wait and see. But two days from now, everybody's going to go crazy and jump for joy because the NFL offseason, quote-unquote, will begin. And all the free agents, we'll see where Juju Smith-Schuster goes and some of the other guys. So we'll keep our eye on that as we move along. All right, and to wrap up here, and I'm going to be ready to go on this, people, so fasten your seatbelts. My hero in Zero of the Week. My hero of the week is one of the great middleweight fighters of all time, a one marvelous Marvin Hagler who passed away through his wife at the age of 66. We all know his story. Brockton Mass, the guy was full of fire, full of passion, was a warrior in the ring as evidenced by one of the great fights of all time. If you could even think that three rounds would measure up to being one of the great fights of all time, well, the Hagler-Hearns fight is legendary I'm sure if you go to YouTube and watch it, you won't believe what you'll see because that's, to, to me, the heyday of boxing. Especially in the late part of the century there in the 80s, but 
the second half when you're talking about from 1950 to the year 2000. And I had the pleasure, me and my old radio partner, JD, had the pleasure of interviewing him back in our Blog Talk radio days, which I'm going to dig up somewhere. I think I have it somewhere. I have to find it. Maybe I'll put it as a special podcast. I get it's not the J Reels podcast, but when you have a guy like Marvin Hagler, who was the embodiment of a fighter, and we all know that final fight that he had with Sugar Ray Leonard where he was literally robbed. I mean, that was just... And you saw him in the post-match walking around. It's like, I got robbed. There's no way I should have lost this fight. And to think, because of the disgust and dismay of losing that fight to Sugar Ray Leonard, he walked out on the sport and never came back. And also, hopefully later on down the road, there is a documentary that's going to be aired I guess maybe later on this year I don't have a timetable but I hope to have the filmmakers or one of the producers of the film on with me as a guest because they use part of our interview in that documentary and again I can't say too much about it because it hasn't been released it hasn't been even a title I think as of today so with Marvin Hagler I'll see if I could dig that interview out and maybe put that on one of my social media platforms for you to listen to. But thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to Marvin Hagler and his family, a true warrior, a true soldier in the ring at the age of 66. He is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week, I'm going to double dip here. My first one being Miami Heat forward Myers Leonard for using an anti-Semitic slur during a live stream gaming session on Twitch while playing, I believe it was Call of Duty or one of those games. Now he apologized for it. He released a statement. He's not on the team as he's currently suspended. Who knows if he's going to get to play another game for the Heat. But yeah, that was just, it wasn't bad. It was just awful. Why he even came out and said that? He didn't realize the magnitude of what that word was. Ignorance on his part. What could you say? Just a terrible job by Myers Leonard. Who knows if we we're going to see him in a Heat uniform for the rest of this year. So he gets my zero number one. And this one... I'm going to have a lot of fun with this. The broadcaster, Matt Rowan, during another live stream of a girls' high school basketball game in Oklahoma, who I might add, they won the championship, I believe it was yesterday, was caught with his mic on during the Star Spangled Banner when players from the opposing team were kneeling and he called them a bleeping racial epithet. And we pretty much know what the epithet is. And if you don't know, or if you've been under a rock the last 24 hours, it was the N-word. But it gets better. He offered the lamest, most weak sauce apology of all time, stating that, and I quote, While not excusing my remarks, it is not unusual when my sugar spikes that I become disoriented and often say things that are not appropriate and often hurtful. Because he prefaced his apology, or his, let's face it, lame-ass apology, by saying that he suffers from type 1 diabetes and during the game, my sugar was spiking. During the game, the Star Spangled Banner and the National Anthem took place before the game. How could you even remotely think, what is it, the sugar was spiking in your brain during this apology? You couldn't look at yourself in the mirror with even just the decency to say, To yourself, well, I have to just lay it all out on the line and not blame it on my diabetes or the medication that you don't have just a fiber of integrity in your body? All I'm going to say is, what 
a loser. I'm not knocking his condition. I'm not knocking that he has diabetes, whatever. But for him to come out and use that and then to say that my sugar spikes during the game, when this happened prior to the game, my G, you need to take that and just go somewhere else with that because nobody is buying that. And that's just, ugh, as bad as it gets. Both of those guys, especially Matt Rowan, they are my zeros of the week. All right, so that'll wrap it up for episode 185. I greatly appreciate you jumping on, listening to what it is I have to say about what happens in the world of sports or what's going on in the world of sports. And as you heard at the very top, and I'll say right now, please, if you haven't done so, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on all the available platforms. You know the drill, Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And also the website at jreels.com. What that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. So in turn, I could get that guest to come on to join me so I could have them share their experiences with you to turn that around with the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, studio host, you name it, broadcaster. I want those people on so I can share that with you guys. So if you subscribe, rate, and review, that's going to help attract a lot of those people who aren't familiar with the J Reels podcast. And if you want to send me a question, comment, criticism, or praise on any of my social media accounts or by email, you could do so on Instagram at jreels or the jreels podcast, which is strictly sports. On Twitter, jreels1, just a number. On Facebook, the jreels podcast fan page. And then the jreels podcast at gmail.com via email. I'll be sure to follow up with you ASAP, as I like to do. And then if you want to contribute to my endeavor, to what it is I do week in and week out, you could do that at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to contribute to the upkeep of the website, production, equipment, etc. As you well know, people, or even if you don't know, and I'll get to that in a second, I would truly appreciate that from the bottom of my heart if you would want to contribute to this project that I love to put forth each and every week. Because if you do or do not know, not only do I love to share my thoughts, opinions, to entertain and inform you guys, because it's in the blood, it's in the DNA since day one, as if you couldn't already tell for those who've been listening to me more than once, because I love to get into everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. The J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.